right, we are back. Let's talk about some miscellaneous items here as we wrap up. Starting with an article by Lori Goodstein from the New York Times. The article starts out, Americans, by all measures, a deeply religious people, but they are also a deep, are, but they are also deeply ignorant about religion. Researchers from the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life phoned 3,400 Americans and asked them 32 questions about the Bible, Christianity, and other world religions. Also famous religious figures and the constitutional pr- principles governing religion in public life. Who scored the highest? Atheists and agnostics. Although Jews and Mormons did pretty well, too. On the average, atheists slash agnostics got 21 questions right, as opposed to 17 for white evangelical Protestants. White Catholics got 16. Commenting on this, uh, Dave Silverman, president of the American Atheists, which is an advocacy group for non-believers, said, I've heard many times that atheists know more about religion than religious people. Atheism is an effect of that knowledge, not a lack of knowledge. I gave a Bible to my daughter. That's how you make atheists. And speaking of the ignorance of white evangelical Christians, I have to take a look at the article by David Lightman and William Douglas about the new GOP pledge and how it seems to be omitting a few big issues. Yeah, the uh, Republican leadership rolled out their pledge to America a couple weeks ago. They're kind of excited. Our ineffectual president appears to be uh, leading the way toward big uh, reversals for the Democrats come November. But noted Lightman and Douglas, the GOP plan doesn't have much to say about some of the day's most pressing issues. It doesn't address how to deal with the projected shortfalls in Social Security and Medicare. It doesn't discuss how to wage or end the war in Afghanistan. It doesn't talk about what's being described as the U.S. mission in Iraq. Yeah, the, U- the U.S. mission. It's no longer a war. It's now a mission. Uh, let's see what else. Nor does it propose many spending cuts or detail how Republicans would offset the cost of the Bush tax reductions. But you know what? I say we should trust them. Their track record's been excellent so far. Which I like the comments by Steve Ellis, who's vice president for Taxpayers for Common Sense, which is a nonpartisan budget watchdog group. Said Ellis, when they, when they talk about cutting government spending to pre-stimulus, pre-bailout levels, they immediately exclude seniors, veterans, and defense from that promise. Adding, besides the fact that considering our budget woes, everything should be on the table for consideration, that leaves a pretty small slice of pie to be whittling away at. Speaking of whittling away at the pie, apparently those officials down in Bell, California, the impoverished suburb of L.A., where the average income is $35,000, Well, they apparently went a little too far in sticking their hands in the public till. L.A. D.A. Steve Cooley has charged eight former city officials with corruption. The former Bell City manager Robert Rizzo faces 53 counts of misappropriation of public funds and conflict of interest, stemming from his compensation package, which included a $788,000 salary for administering a town of $37,000. You know the mistake these people made? They were operating in Bell, California, not Wall Street. See, if they'd fired all this, most of the city staff and then said, as a result, I need to reward myself with $788,000, that'd be considered business as usual, I think, in, uh, in New York. What's Humphrey Bogart say in uh, Casablanca? I don't mind a crook, but I hate a cut-rate one. Something like that. And speaking of crooks, we do have some, uh, some other good news from the legal front. An article by Denny Walsh in the Sacramento Bee about 
Yosef Kaza, drawing a seven and a half year sentence for his role in a, a law firm's political asylum fraud. Apparently, this firm was putting together asylum applications with false information and bogus supporting documents and fabricated narratives. I guess Yosef Kaza was a leader in the Romanian community in Sacramento, and I guess he was at the center of the phony claims. But the part I like is that the two lawyers, Jogprit Sekon and Jogdip Sekon, each got several years in prison. Jogprit got nine, Jogdip got five. Well, it's not that often we get to talk about corrupt lawyers being thrown in prison, so... Makes today a good day. And from the ah file, we have something quite, uh, quite different from uh, that item involving lawyers. We have the story of Steve Hutchings of Missouri, who got some bad news last summer that his kidneys were shutting down. He began dialysis and posted news on his Facebook site where a former high school friend, Earl McCormick, saw it and said, well, we always got along good and we're both good guys in school. I couldn't sit back and watch that happen to him. So McCormick donated a kidney to Hutchings, which is a hell of a nice thing to do. All right, we were offered a chance to to interview uh, Susan Casey, the author of The Wave in Pursuit of the Rogues, Freaks, and Giants of the Ocean. Probably should have done it, but we didn't. But uh, the last word section of the Week magazine summarized the book rather nicely. There was an excellent program on... uh, on the National Geographic channel, I believe it was last week, talking about these monsters of the sea that's um, worth talking about. Sailors had for centuries, if not millennia, told stories of giant waves arising in the ocean out of nowhere. It was thought that these might be tall tales, but uh, the proof is in beyond any doubt, and uh, these giant waves are real. We know this from, among other things, the fact that the RSS Discovery, a ship absolutely chock full of sensors, recorded a 100-foot wave. In fact, the Queen Elizabeth II apparently was recently struck by a 95-footer. And uh, satellites have proven that uh, such waves are all over the ocean. They tend to cluster in certain areas, and we're now figuring out why that is. The television program showed that the, I guess it's the Agelhaus current off the coast of South Africa brings warm water east to west off the eastern South African coast, which runs counter to some of the prevailing winds which come out of the west. This means that as large waves stack up as they sometimes do, the wind blowing on them decelerates them, causing the waves behind them to catch up and then constructively interfere and become monsters. Apparently every year around the world about two dozen cargo ships just disappear. (laughs) They think they now know why. Anyway, I find it curious that even witnesses like uh, Ernest Shackleton, uh, who's, you know, would be considered an impeccable source of information when he said back in 1916 that he'd seen a wave far larger than any that he'd seen in 26 years of experience on the ocean, people were not sure that they should believe him. What's spooky to me is that a lot of these uh, cargo ships are state-of-the-art and considered virtually unsinkable. Of course, nobody was thinking about them getting hit with 90 feet of water. It's a fascinating topic, and I'm Sure, we'll talk more about it. Let's close with uh, an obituary. Genuinely sorry to note the passing of football great George Blanda, who died last week at age 83 after a brief illness. George Blanda played in the National Football League for 26 seasons and 340 games. Blanda would play quarterback, and then after they scored, he would kick the point after touchdown and was also the field goal kicker. The high point for Blanda may have been the 1970 season when his passing arm and kicking leg were key to four dramatic Raider victories. 
During a five-game stretch in that 1970 season, Blanda's legend uh, was assured after he tossed three scoring passes in place of the injured Daryl LaMonica to beat Pittsburgh, kicked a 48-yard field goal for a 17-7 tie with Kansas City, then he beat Cleveland 23-20 by tying the game up with a minute to go, then making a 52-yard field goal with just seconds left. Next game, he hit Fred Bolitnikoff for a 20-yard touchdown late in the game to beat Denver, then kicked a 16-yard field goal in the waning seconds to beat San Diego 20-17. By the way, he was 43 when he did this. Football's a young man's sport, but George Blanda retired in 1976, just a month shy of his 49th birthday. An inspiration to all of us. That's it for the program. Gerald Nachman will be back next week for part two of his talk on Raised on Radio. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. See you next week.